Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Alex Hoyer. Don Marsh will be back tomorrow. Susan Brownell is a professor and chair of the Anthropology Department at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. I spoke with her earlier this week before she left for South Korea, where she will be attending her sixth Olympics. I started the conversation by asking why she's specifically going to the Olympic Games in South Korea. Well, I'm uh, normally a China scholar, so I had um, done research on the Beijing Olympic Games. But we're entering a period of Olympic history that's very interesting because we'll have three consecutive Olympic Games in East Asia. We've got these games in Pyeongchang, Korea. We've got the Tokyo 2020 Summer Games. And then we've got the Beijing Zhangjiakou 2022 Winter Games. And I just think it's a really interesting moment in Olympic history and maybe in world history when this big mega event has left the conventional Western powers for the first time in its over 100-year history for three consecutive Olympic Games. Why do you think that is, that there are going to be three consecutive Olympics in Asia? Well, of course, pundits like to say that maybe the West is in decline and East Asia is on the rise. And certainly East Asia has been becoming more and more wealthy economically. And that is important because they do have the financial capability of hosting the games. I think it might be a little bit too much, though, to say that the West, relatively speaking, is in decline, because I think increasingly the Olympic Games have really become a multinational global event that uh, kind of transcends any single part of the world or any single nation. And um, so it kind of floats around and lands in one part of the world, picks up and goes someplace else. And um, the parts of the world that can afford it will host it. There are some cities that specifically say that they do not want to host the Olympics because of the financial burden and all that's involved with that. So why is it that you think that these countries in Asia do want to commit those financial resources? Well, it's a source of concern for the International Olympic Committee because we have had countries in the West that have tried to mount bids and In the case of um, Oslo, which was bidding against Beijing for the 2022 Games, its bid was well underway, and it probably would have won when um, another party came to power and there was a referendum and it scuttled the bid. So the situation's kind of complicated. I mean, Norway is the wealthiest country in the world, so it has the money to host Olympic Games, but you have publics that seem to be turning against the Games slightly, particularly in Europe. And um, there's kind of this growing image of the Games as too extravagant, as a waste of money. Um, And I think that you just actually don't have that image of the Olympic Games in East Asia. They're newcomers to the Games. Not as many have been hosted there. These are countries that are sort of rising in the global economy. They have a rivalry with each other. So Japan, China, and Korea are always sort of looking for ways to best each other. And hosting these mega events that are running into trouble in the West, I think, has proven a good vehicle for the rivalry between them. I know that you study this, the Olympics as being being a ritual of sorts, but what did the Olympics mean? Well, I do think that the Olympic Games have become the premier global ritual for celebrating humanity, um, for building a sense of shared um, humanity among the human beings of the world. I I think uh, I've been interested in the ritual 
aspects of the Olympic Games ever since I was an undergraduate, um, just because the, there is this theory in anthropology that ritual builds a sense of community and solidarity. And scholars have been saying for years that the Olympic Games are a ritual, but um, there's also a debate about whether the, the, the rituals and festivals that anthropologists study at the local level can really be scaled up to the global level. I, I do think in many ways they can, um, but it's um, in the end a theoretical argument and you can't really prove it one way or the other. But I would like to say that I, I think the Olympic Games, with their tremendous global television coverage and internet coverage these days, does help to build a sense of a shared global community. In the earlier segment, we were talking about the 1904 Olympics that were in St. Louis. Taking into consideration those Olympics, uh, how does that factor into what happened in 1904 to what's happening today, if at all? I was very interested in the way that China was demonized surrounding its first Olympic Games, the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games. Um, Because if you go back and you look at the World Fair in 1904 and then the accompanying Olympic Games, which, of course, wasn't as big an event back then, but still, both of those actually got a lot of criticism from Europeans. And I think you can argue that in some ways the World Fair and, as I say, to a lesser extent, the Olympic Games at that time marked the U.S.'s emergence as a global power. It um, had just sort of acquired the Philippines and won the Spanish-American Civil War. It had emerged as kind of a colonial power, which it wasn't before. And one of the reasons the Europeans criticized those events was probably because they were threatened. And then fast forward, I think a lot of the same thing was happening with Beijing in 2008, and then East Asia as a region, you know, is a, a little bit scary sometimes to the West. After all, some of our worst wars took place there. We've got the scariest rogue state in the world, you know, located there, North Korea. So I, I think that, you know, an Olympic Games in East Asia shares with St. Louis 1904 this, um, the unknown, the rise of East Asia, its relationship with the West and a little bit of a you know threat to the conventional powers as to what's going to happen with these newcomers. Do you think these upcoming games in Asia have the chance to ameliorate the concerns that uh, you were talking about with some people in the United States having? You know, ritual theory applies well to the Olympic Games in the sense that um, you you know you theoretically they can. Um, build a sense of solidarity. But if things fall, fall apart, they can actually create, you know, a bigger sense of threat and schism than existed ahead of time. I think the Beijing Olympic Games had a, a little bit of a mixed result in that respect, and that the sort of xenophobia, the fear of China, maybe was increased at the same time that people understood China better. I'm heading into these games. It's really encouraging that North and South Korea have managed to hold talks and are going to march together in the parade of athletes and mount some joint teams that might help calm everybody down and, you know, um, assuage the fears of the West. But um, if things go wrong, then obviously that could um, raise more concerns instead of assuaging fears. 
What's it like to be at an Olympic Games? Are there commonalities that you've had at all five that you've been through, or have they been really distinct? There, there is a commonality with Olympic Games. It's what has been called the street festival. You know, it's mm-hmm. just the large numbers of people wandering around in the streets, either from one event to another or um, at the places I'm now studying, hospitality houses, so houses that are um, buildings that are open to the public by different nations where fans can go in and um, drink beer and celebrate. So it's, um, yeah, there's a, there is a feeling of uh, common humanity, I would say, and um, a global village and the world being a smaller place. Um, the world, you know, everyone in the world being in one place at an Olympic game. So um, I think that people like me who've been to one or two, you do start to get addicted to it. And there are certainly hardcore fans, some of my colleagues among them, that um, just go to one game after another to sort of experience that, um, that joy in being human. What are the hospitality houses like? Where's, where's the main action? Uh, I th- well, actually, this being in a, a winter games, you know, there are two main sites, the mountain cluster and the coastal cluster, and there will be um, hospitality houses in both places. So I think that's where the action will be, either in Pyeongchang, where the mountain events are, or Kangnang, where the um, skating uh, and other such events are. Um, unfortunately, the USA house is not open to the public, so it's not really a big partying center for the, at least the hoi polloi like myself. <laughs> uh, you have to have an invitation to get in. But the, uh, the Heineken Holland house in Kangnang is, the, is generally the place to be. And, uh, you know, they may be hosting tens of thousands of people during this Olympic Games. What do you hope studying these hospitality houses will tell you? I'm interested in the hospitality houses as um, a part of this question of do Olympic Games help to build a sense of community? I, I've got specific questions about what goes on in that hospitality houses because corporate sponsors and national Olympic committees actually have rooms there um, where they can host VIPs and meetings can be arranged. And, you know, these... Um, these days, host countries, many of them have definite plans about how to promote their own businesses in the host country. So there's actually a lot of very serious networking that goes on, um, particularly in the corporate world. And I, I feel that this is uh, just a part of the growing integration of the global economy and the increasingly multinational nature of so many of the corporations in the world today. Do you think that's a good thing? I think it's a good thing in that um, when when different countries and different people have economic ties with each other, I think they're less likely to want to fight each other and drop bombs on each other. So it's a good thing in that sense. But I think it's precisely the phenomenon that has created the situation where um, there are elites and corporate CEOs who need and want the Olympic Games um, and also heads of state for that matter. It's a place where they do business. But the poor city um, has to bear the burden of building the infrastructure. Um, sometimes, you know, arenas that are way bigger than they need after the games are gone. So there's a little bit of a conflict between the local and the global going on. And I do think that's part of the problem of 
um, bidding cities dropping out and the white elephant stadiums being left behind. We've talked about those hospitality houses. Do you have any plans to see any of the games themselves? Yeah, I definitely hope I get to see some of the sports, although my research grant didn't include tickets to the events. <laughs> so uh, I thought that would be perhaps just a little, wouldn't be quite right. So that comes out of my own pocket. Are those expensive and, uh, tickets? Uh, the, well, I, I am a figure skating fan. I've been a past president of the St. Louis Skating Club, and I've been very active in figure skating. That's a marquee event, and the tickets range from 150 for the rafter seats up to about 450 for the the better seats. So yeah, they're they're kind of pricey. I know there are many categories in figure skating, but what are the US's chances do you think this year? Well, we have Nathan Chun who has a very good um, chance of winning the gold medal for the men. So he's probably our star going in. Our ladies have slipped in the last decade and just we don't have the days of glory we used to have in that respect. Ice dance, though, is real competitive for us, and we could easily take a medal and and actually have two or three teams that could contend for a medal. Well, Susan Brownell, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thanks. It's been great talking to you. Susan Brownell is professor and chair of the Department of Anthropology at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. She's in South Korea getting ready to attend her sixth Olympic Games. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.